Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. When we look at the move of God in Acts, when we look at the extension of the kingdom, we've got to understand it was in the context of revival. You know, and sometimes when we read Acts and we just look at uh, what the things people did, you know, and, uh, and then try and contextualize it, sometimes hard to make the kind of, you know, figure it out. How is it on my road in the culture we're in? That's why we need to pray for God to do something. And the whole point of what Acts was doing, it was in the midst of a move of God there in Jerusalem that moved out and out and, and out. And um, I want to look at one person that was caught up in this revival. And he's introduced to us in Acts 6. And uh, this revival just gathered thousands of people into the church in Jerusalem. And uh, there were indigenous Jewish people, also there was a lot of Greek speakers. It, uh, it says in Acts 2 that it was people from every nation, actually, in Jerusalem. And actually, un- t- typical of churches today, squabbles happened. And uh, a big squabble happened because the Greek-speaking widows felt they were being overlooked by pro-Jewish leaders. <laughs> Sounds quite familiar if you contextualize it, not in a Jewish Gentile, but in a English and uh, other nations coming in. And fundamentally, the Greek widows felt they were not being served properly. They were actually almost second class. And so the bosses realized that it wasn't their heart for that. It was just they were overstretched, overburdened and needed to figure out how to do it. So they basically said to these widows, choose six people full of the Holy Spirit, who you trust. And so they choose some Greek speakers, and one of them was Philip. And uh, their job was to administer the food, (laughs) administer the charity to the the widows. uh, And uh, so this man basically would have been a hero in the Heatons. Because rotors and organization and getting things done is probably the number one thing most of the time. (laughs) Three kids' works and uh, everything else that goes on. Philip would have been the first to put his hand up. And uh, so, you know, he would have been a star in the church here because he was just a servant and really wanted to serve and look after people. So that's how... He's introduced. And then the next we hear of him is running away from Jerusalem. Because actually there's a massive persecution that's happening to the church. And so there's just this dispersion. And actually it was this dispersion that was the catalyst for the gospel to go. Without this, people just couldn't figure out how do you do it. And it actually was so alien to them to actually go and preach the gospel all over the world. And so when this persecution came, they went, and Philip went down to Samaria, which actually wasn't too far away. 
It was like going to Bolton or Oldham. No, joking. But uh, I was in a meeting once. I, this is just uh, an aside. And it was a, a Manchester prayer gathering. I've been involved in lots of them. And, and it was at the um, cathedral. And you had to stand um, if you didn't live in Manchester. And, not, and then introduce yourself. So it was Leeds and Liverpool. And then there was a group of people stood and they asked, where would you come from? Oldham. <laughs> Just made me laugh. So, you know, and Samaria, a little bit, was quite close, but actually very different. And uh, for lots of reasons, and a lot of aggro going on between the uh, people from Jerusalem and Samaria. But Philip went there, and it says in Acts 8.5, he went to Samaria and told people there about the Messiah, and crowds listened to him intently, because Philip was eager to hear because people were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. And he's coming out of revival. And it's almost like just took it with him. So it was just, you know, miracles were happening in Jerusalem. People were being healed. The blind were seeing. Lame were rising, being, were walking. And so he was praying for people. And this revival started to come into this Samaritan. He said, many evil spirits were cast out with screams as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. And uh, so that's Philip. He's a servant, helping the poor, making sure everybody feels cared for, looked after, an organizer, someone who uh, would get his hands, what we call get his hands dirty. And... Uh, and now he's in the epicenter of a new revival. <laughs> in fact, they actually call him an evangelist in the end. <clears throat> but um, at this point, he's there because he's fleeing. You know, we have people in Manchester that are here because they've come from other nations, refugees because they're fleeing war and, and other things. And actually, some of them are bringing the presence of God to the UK in a remarkable way, you know. Someone told me that the Chinese, the Hong Kong church now, Chinese church in Manchester, I think, is now over a thousand people because of the diaspora that's coming out of Hong Kong. Just as an illustration of actually, we're seeing mobility all over the place. And uh, Philip was in that world, bringing. Revival to Samaria. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that in the midst of all this, and I think I would have stayed there for the rest of my life, personally, <laughs> I think this would be, you know, this is, you know, this is remarkable. In the midst of this, it says in Acts 8.26, and this is the passage that we're just going to spend a bit of time in says, um, as, Philip, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met a treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of, uh, of great authority under Candate, the queen of Ethiopia. And so... It's an amazing thing, here's Philip, in the midst of a revival, in the midst of God moving powerfully, an angel comes to him. 
and basically says, go south, <laughs> leave here, and go into a desert place. Now, the interesting thing about Ethiopia, it isn't the Ethiopia that we understand now uh, in present-day kind of geography. The reality is that it was what we would think of Sudan. That's basically where it, uh, where it was in this uh, uh, context. And for the Jewish mindset, effectively, that was virtually the ends of the earth. Because the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, hadn't gone further than that. You know, so as far as the kind of the world of commerce and trade and where you get to, this was as far as you could think. And so, fundamentally, God was getting Philip, not only to go to Samaria, but now to meet a man who fundamentally, in his mind, <laughs> was among the most remotest places. And uh, this man was uh, the treasurer of the nation. And uh, basically the king was classed as a god, and therefore as a god, it would be beneath him to actually run the nation. <laughs> so actually the queen ran the nation, and uh, the title is actually the title that each one would have. And he was the treasurer to the queen. I mean, a remarkable, remarkable position. You know, it's almost like the most trusted Chancellor of the Exchequer on steroids, basically. <laughs> Much more power. And uh, he's a eunuch. And, you know, they don't, you know, they, they, commentators kind of speculate why. I mean, one of the reasons was because he was so close to the Queen that you needed to be above reproach. So no, take that as you want. Um, but the reality is he's a eunuch, and uh, he's actually a God-fearer. And uh, actually, as a eunuch, he would not actually have been able to be a proselyte, i.e. converted into the Jewish faith, because he wouldn't have been allowed in the temple. So he had some... He, he was an amazing man, really, that's uh, a God-fearer, and in a sense, doubly ostracized, if I can use that. He was a, a Gentile, and he was a eunuch. But still, he made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem and uh, to be there in the festivals and could well have only just been on the outside of the temple. So that's the Ethiopian that uh, is kind of the person that God wanted Philip to talk to. And it says this, he was returning, verse 28, and he was now returning, that's from Jerusalem, and he was seated in his carriage, and he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And basically, we're told that reading aloud was normative in that sort of world. He also, to read a scroll actually would have cost a fortune. <laughs> you just think of, you know, it's not like us, we just think, you know, get your paperback book for your holidays. This was a handwritten parchment that very few people would have had. So again, it shows you the kind of status and the wealth of this, uh, this uh, eunuch. And then he said this. It says, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. And Philip ran over 
heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come into the carriage and sit with him. And the passage of scripture you've been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And so, you know, this is from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, as we have made the kind of text now, numbered it. I don't think it would have those numbers when Isaiah was reading it. Then... 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So he understood this was a real person that the prophet was talking about. Who was it? And um, so beginning with the scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. What a place to start. A place where this person was suffering to death. And... Um, and as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? The reality is, if he was a eunuch in the, the state that uh, we know, he would not have been able to baptized as a Jew. So, that, so if you wanted to become a kind of proselyte, someone who was kind of in great, in, um, kind of brought in to the Jewish faith, you were baptized. That's, baptism was before, if you understand what we think of it in the New Testament. But he probably wouldn't have been able to be baptized. So that's a big statement for him. And uh, so he ordered the carriage to stop. And when they, they went down the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way Rejoice. It's an amazing thing. Nobody really knows what does snatched away mean. I mean, it, it kind of beam me up, Scotty. It's almost kind of um, that sort of imagery in your head, you know. But somehow, this kind of moment, Philip was gone. And it says that um, uh, when, the, when they came up, no, sorry, the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north at the town of Otosus, he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Wow, so it's exciting stuff, amazing stuff. And I just want to bring a couple of um, uh, things out of this. And the first thing is this. Philip's simple obedience. You know? And uh, it's easy to say that it's much harder to do, you know? And uh, so, you know, it says, when the angel said to him, go south down the desert road, it says, so he started out. <laughs> it's, like, it's like immediately the angel spoke, he started out. The reality is you might think, well, if an angel spoke to me, I would start out. You know what? I'd be more like Jonah. I would start out, but in the other direction, which is what Jonah did. It took a whale to get him back on track. You know? So it's not, it's not obvious just because an angel comes to you that you would be obedient. The Bible's full of those scenarios. Gideon's another 
who basically had to argue and then get tests and all sorts of things. So obedience is not automatic. And obedience, when you're in the epicenter of revival and you're told to go to a desert road, is kind of, you know, it's like, why? At least go back to Jerusalem. <laughs> you know, that's obvious. Or another big city. It's like asking Tim Simmons to go from Manchester to Bedford. He thinks Bedford's a little kind of way he grew up. You know, it's like, why? If I'm going from Manchester, New York... You know, it's like, that's the sort of thing. But a desert road is where he's asked to go from. And, uh, you know, Abraham, when God spoke to him, God said, now go. And it says, Abraham went not knowing where he was going. And uh, that's the obedience of Philip. Go to the desert road and um, I will be with you. Duncan Campbell on that um, video. Fascinating. I was yesterday just reading up on him for the talk this morning. And uh, he, he says this. He says, he was asked by the Lewis minister to go to the Hebrides. He was actually ministering in another part of the United Kingdom to lead some meetings. And he replied to this request, it's impossible for me to go as I'm involved in a holiday convention. I will put Lewis on my program for the following year. So that's basically, that's his uh, way it comes down. The minister got the reply and went to two old ladies who had been praying. One of them was blind. Now these two old ladies, if you read the story, pray night right through the night for this revival. And they're the ones that had said to the minister, go and invite him. <laughs> so he'd gone back and said, it ain't going to happen. And then this is, this is what it says. It says, he said, um, one, of the, one of these two ladies was blind and she said, that is what the man is saying, but God said otherwise. And the man is going to be here within 10 days. <laughs> Duncan Campbell said this, here were women who knew God, who were in touch with the eternal one. They knew his voice. To make a long story short, I was on the island within 10 days. That's all that with Duncan Campbell. He looks massively obedient. <laughs> There was a struggle going on. Didn't fit <laughs> going to a little island <laughs> when I'm actually involved in God's work here. But God, and this is the encouragement to me, God is able to make a Jonah, <laughs> a Duncan Campbell, a Colin Barron, who isn't instantly obedient <laughs> to be obedient. That's the grace of God, actually. That's the mercy of God. That's the love of God. That's why we worship him. Because <laughs> he's so rich in mercy and grace. A few years ago, probably about 10 years ago now, I, I, I kind of just got worn out planting churches, helping run a movement. Things weren't going brilliant. 
I was kind of feeling like, I got a nice dog, big retriever, and I said to Mary, who lived on Broadstone Road in Heaton, I said, let's go to Glossop. We can actually you know, we commute back into Manchester. Let's kind of get... So we got a house. Literally, we found a house, brand new build, and uh, overlooked the kind of snake pass. You walked out and up, you know, idyllic. And um, put our house on the market, and it was in a time when houses were selling. The estate agent said, this is going to be easy to sell. Two years on. Drop the price, drop the price. Love no money. Could not get rid of this house. And uh, in the end, Mary said to me, she said, Colin, we're going in the wrong direction. We should be going to Levenshoe. And uh, over all our years, I've been the kind of main one that's kind of said, let's do this, let's do that. She said, no, I, this, this is what we've got to do. So basically, we settled in our heart. We go to Levenshoe or Withington, you know, that sort of area, and then uh, we went to South Africa, got a phone call while I was there, Colin, I've just got a cash offer on your house, you have to move, first of all, you're going to accept it, and second, you've got to move quick, I mean, remarkable, and we ended up, I always wanted a south-facing house with a conservatory, a wood burner, I never thought I'd get that in Levenshoom, I got everything, isn't God good? I mean, it's the mercy of God. You know, the church, CCM, was stuck with not many people. I think we added 70 people that year. It wasn't due to me. It just, but I do feel it's like God was in control. And uh, just, But for me, it just says, you might not feel dead obedient. <laughs> but actually, God is rich in mercy and is going to take sometimes even your, whether it's not disobedience, but resistance. <laughs> to, you know, God is able <laughs> to take even you and me and put us in the epicenter of what God wants. So, obedience. And it's almost like I've given everybody an escape route to obedience. <laughs> And I don't want to do that. I want to say, let's be like Philip and do it straight away. But I really am a restoration person. And I know lots of us <laughs> feel the need of restoration. <laughs> that actually we're not as obedient as we should be. And I want to minister to us the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. And then just kind of the whole thing of God taking the initiative. So when I look at our road, and it's, you know, big Muslim community, which we, Mary in particular just gets on so well with so many, you know, they're lovely people. And, and uh, the other day she offered our, our, to someone who doesn't often acknowledge and nod to us and stuff like that. They, they had lots of cars trying to get to their, you know, parking for the, something... She said, if you want to use our drive, you know, use our drive. Honestly, just a breakthrough, <laughs> just a smile and the acknowledgement. And what I'm trying to say is, you know, we really work hard at actually building relationships. Because we like people, genuinely like people. And the courage you get in return are even worth it for that. But my desire is for God to save people, for God to change people's hearts. And you know what? For that, we need God to take some initiative. 
You know, actually, on our own, <laughs> we're flesh and blood. And uh, we're dealing with flesh and blood. And we're dealing with the spirit of the ruler of the age, who is the work of disobedience and blinds people <laughs> and deflects people from the love and the grace of God. But God takes initiative. God poured his Holy Spirit out on the Jerusalem church. God went with Philip. And then it was God who said, I want that Ethiopian. He wants me, but he doesn't know me. <laughs> and so he was willing for that one Ethiopian eunuch to take a man out of revival <laughs> and put him on a desert road <laughs> so that that one man could hear the gospel. Isn't that remarkable? That's our God. wonder if anybody had been praying for that eunuch. <laughs> He'd even been to Jerusalem in the epicenter revival and still not got saved. <laughs> and left. But God was not going to leave him. And God was going to use one person to go to him. It's remarkable, isn't it? And then the Holy Spirit says to Philip, now you're here, there's a chariot there, which it wasn't probably the sort of chariots we think of, you know, like that had kind of people with bows and arrows and, and swords, but actually it was probably more like a kind of cart, but a posh one, <laughs> you know? That, and it wouldn't have been going hurtling along, it would have been plodding along. But the thing you wouldn't do is if that's a very posh state's vehicle, and you're walking, you wouldn't just go up to it. It just would be not what you do. But Holy Spirit said to Philip, now go up to it. Big act of obedience for Philip. And then he hears the Ethiopian reading the scripture. I mean, how bizarre is that? How random is that? <laughs> of all the scriptures to be reading aloud, it's the one that talks about Jesus, but doesn't mention his name. <laughs> you see, the Holy Spirit is at work in people. And we've got to believe that. We've got to believe, as Andy's saying, praying for this nation. We've got to believe when the Holy Spirit's poured out, God is at work in people's lives. And then... This is ultra-random. They're in a desert and a pool of water appears. I mean, it doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? But it does if you're in a desert. <laughs> and it's there at the right time. You've just responded in your heart to the gospel and you know that part of it is to be baptised and you're thinking, will I be able to be baptised? And there, randomly, is a pool of water. This story is all about God. All about God. All about God doing something remarkable for the salvation of one man. The ends of the earth. And so, Philip says, yeah, I'm going to baptize you. Comes out of the water and then Philip disappears. This eunuch goes all the way back to Ethiopia singing, <laughs> worshipping. The psalms that he had 
read about, now he understood the gospel. He suddenly realized what he had been reading all through the Old Testament pointed to the Savior of the world. He's going back to the ends of the earth, <laughs> to Africa. Born again. Powerful encounter with the living God. Baptized. And uh, when he carried on reading through Isaiah, two or three chapters, our chapters ahead, it talks about the eunuch. <laughs> God reaching the eunuch. He'd have read about himself. <laughs> it's a remarkable thing. You know, I just want to pray for us this morning that we would increase our faith in God's providential work in our lives. That God's providential work in our neighbours, we would be able to see. We would have the obedience to step in, to see God working. And that's why we pray for revival, because we want an increase of God working. More at the time. I met a lady years ago. She grew up in Liverpool. And uh, the Jeffreys brothers, they're the people that started the Pentecostal movement, Elim and the Assemblies of God. One brother started one and one brother started another, but they used to do tent missions together, healing missions. She was a non Christian, non Christian background. They did a tent at the bottom of her road. She said, Colin, when we left our house to get on the street, she said, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. It was so thick. The, the, she understood how the presence of God was so tangible, you could feel it as you walked to the tent. Radically saved in that tent in Liverpool. Just listening to her story years ago. Amazing, isn't it? That's what I'm praying for. That's what Andy's praying for. That's why, hopefully, we'll be doing prayer meetings more and more. But we can pray, but we still need to understand, we need to look out for. Where is God moving? Where is God moving? And he can use rotor people. <laughs> and I think that's virtually everybody in this room. <laughs> Somewhere your name is on a rotor to serve the community, to make sure... Things work well and people are not overlooked. God likes road to people.